the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flash over substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I am very excited about this evening's show because one of my favorite media commentators is going to be joining us for the first half. You know how it is, Larry, when you're sort of wondering what's kind of an angle to take on something and you think, well, I wonder what so-and-so said about it on the air. Maybe I can go to his website, which is terrific, and look at the replay. Well, we're lucky enough to actually have somebody like that on the line. Who do we have, Larry? Number one New York Times bestselling author Dick Morris is one of the most prominent political consultants in the United States. He was instrumental in the winning campaigns of Bill Clinton in 1996 and more than 30 senators and governors nationally. And he is a key advisor to former President Donald Trump. He is the host of Dick Morris Democracy on Newsmax TV and author of 10 New York Times bestsellers. So fortunate to have you on the program today, Dick. Thank you for joining us. Good. Well, I hope I, hope I have an 11th bestseller, which is my brand new book called The Return, uh, Donald Trump's Great 2024 Comeback. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. You know, Dick, I don't know. There's not enough hours in the day for you to have all these uh, accomplishments. You know what I find most endearing about you, Dick, is your sense of humor. You are able to roll with the best of the punches and just come out just endearing and interesting and, and entertaining and witty. But I do oh, have you. to ask you, because inquiring minds want to know, between all of these media appearances, writing books, um, advising uh, the, the very important people that you advise, how do you manage? to maintain some kind of work-life balance? Well, at the moment, my work-life balance is challenged because my <laughs> wife had a stroke a year and a half ago. Oh, and we're sorry to hear that. We'll keep her in been, prayer. We've been married for 46 years, so wow. it's very tough. It's very tough. Uh, the way I usually do it is that she's such strong, demanding uh, woman that I can't, that I have to. <laughs> she pulls she pulls me back to life from work, but I don't have that anymore. You will again. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Well, Dick, going to your book, uh, there's still speculation whether Trump will run for president in 2024. Oh, he's y- running. Yeah. And then you say, say yeah. that the America First Revolution can't succeed without him. So he's yeah. going to be running and he will be the GOP nominee. I guess you, we're confident of that, are we? Well, I'm confident he'll be the nominee. Okay. I think it's even possible he won't have a primary. And uh, and I think that he will uh, be the next president. I think he'll be the 45th and 47th president. <laughs> and 
and you know, let me let me explain some of the things in the book. Because what the book really does is it's designed to explain to people, which Trump wanted me to do, why he can why he will do better in twenty four than he even did in twenty. And one of the big reasons is that I believe there will be no ballot fraud in twenty four. And I just did my TV show, Democracy, that's going to air on Newsmax uh, Saturday night at uh, 7.30 Eastern. So I guess with you all, it's uh, 4.30. And my guest was Rudy Giuliani. And I asked him if he agreed with me. And he said, yes, there is a brand new case that is coming before the Supreme Court and will be heard in the fall term. They've already accepted certiorari, which means four judges have said they want to hear it. And it'll probably pass six to four, or five to four, six to three or five to four. Uh, it says it's the case is called Moore versus Harper. And uh, it says that the state legislatures are in total control of federal elections for president, Congress and the Senate. And that the governors and the secretaries of state and the state courts have absolutely nothing to say about them. Because Article One, Section 4 of the Constitution says the times, places, and manners of holding elections for federal office shall be determined by the state legislatures. And over the years, that's basically been morphed to say, oh, the states are going to control it, meaning the governors. But these strict constructionists are insisting on reading the Constitution. And they're saying that, no, the Constitution says the legislatures. Now, we have three states that have passed really good election reform laws and the governors signed them. Florida, Georgia, and Arizona. No drop boxes, uh, photo ID, uh, no ballot harvesting, signature verification. But then there were five swing states where the legislature has passed a good law. It's a Republican legislature but the Democratic governors have vetoed it. And if this decision holds up in this case um, of Moore versus Harper, uh, the governor veto will not stand. It will be veto-proof legislation. I had Rudy Giuliani as my on as my guest on my weekend TV show wow. coming up tomorrow, coming up tomorrow on Newsmax. And uh, I asked him, will Moore versus Harper make our elections fraud proof and he said yes whoa i said is this the solution he said this is the solution and he said it absolutely is because it takes the power to run the elections out of the hands of the democratic governors and gives it to the republican legislatures and uh it's so revolutionary nobody's talked about it until my book so i explain all about it in my book the return and just for that reason, it's worth reading it. Oh, yeah. Now, that decision isn't expected till 2023. So this that decision will not yeah. affect the midterms, I guess. But this we're no. looking to 2024 probably, right? That's, well, tw- to the election in 24. That's right. Yeah. Uh, now, the other stuff that I say in the book is that only Donald Trump can bring us back to what America was before Biden took over. And I believe that the core of his re-election strategy, is, which I'm formulating with him these days, is based on four words. I did it already. Yes. So that 
in any campaign where the insurgent says, oh, I'm mad at inflation and gas prices and crime and immigration, the incumbent always says, hey, how do we know you can do better? I mean, these are inevitable. These are global trends. And Democrats love to mask their failure in the disguise of pessimism and inevitability. Pun intended, pun appropriate, given the, you know, even here in L.A., they almost um, put back the mask mandate. Dick, I would love to to hear your, your take on this. I mean, we know that Democrats drive and dine. They are facing the, and their babies use formula, too. They're facing the same exact challenges that Republicans are. You know, given that reality and also given the impact it might have on the midterms, the announcement, do you think Donald Trump is going to announce before the midterms and then the follow-up? I, I love doing this uh, in the radio show because I'd get uh, objected to in court being compound. The follow-up is, who is he going to have as his running mate? Well, uh, I believe the, the decision not to announce now is essentially structured by Trump's accountant, mm. who says that if you announce now the cost of all these rallies, that's going to run to maybe double millions of dollars, 10 million or more this year, comes right out of your campaign kitty. But if you're not a candidate yet and you haven't announced, you can spend as much as you like and it doesn't count against your campaign spending. And that's it. So I think after 24, uh, after 22, he will announce. And he's clearly running. In terms of the running mate, it can't be DeSantis because they can't have two candidates from the same state. But I and I believe the answer is whoever the hell he wants. Trump is uh, the the key is the ability to get along with Donald Trump, right. and that is not a universal trait. Yes, <laughs> and <laughs> Donald Trump is not the forgiving sort. Well, so um, I think that it'll be whoever he likes and gets along with. Now but that let book... me just say a couple of other things. Sure. The, the there is a huge group of people who say I like Trump's policies and I like his achievements, but I can't stand his personality or his temperament. And we need a kinder, gentler Donald Trump. And I say to those people, would you have liked a kinder and gentler George Patton to run the American army in France and Germany in fighting the Wehrmacht? No. And you can't take Trump's accomplishments and pocket them and say yeah. change his personality. Dick, we got but a hard break. Accomplish this stuff you, is because of that. You are so okay. great to join us today. We're all going to go out and buy your book. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Please stay with Thank us. You You're listening me. to Today with Dr. Wendy. We will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick, and we have a very interesting second half for you tonight. Um, And it's appropriate that we're talking about this on a Saturday night because many people enjoy a cocktail on Saturday night. Some people enjoy a glass of wine with dinner. Some people go out to happy hour and have a a cold one after they're done with their day at the beach, day at the park. Uh, But 
not everybody stays out till last call. However, uh, Senate Bill 930 is something being discussed right now, and it would allow seven cities in California to serve alcohol until 4 a.m. as part of a five-year pilot program. Larry, when I was growing up, my mother always told me nothing good ever happens after midnight. Did you get similar advice from your parents? I heard that uh, <laughs> advice. Uh, I don't know if my parents told me that particular they one. They probably said 10 p.m., right? Your parents made you come home earlier. I may, might have been two. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, but it's, it's interesting. And when I was growing up, I had a paper route here in Southern California. And one time I was pulled over by a cop. And he just friendly advice, not a ticket or anything. I, I was on my paper route early in the morning, 4 a.m. And he said, you know, you need to put a uh, light on your bike because people aren't expecting to see bicycle riders or pedestrians in that hour in the morning. So then jumping to if this law goes into place, we will have potentially drunk drivers out there at 4 a.m. And a lot of people get up early. They have early morning jobs. So to me, it increases the danger zone. And did you know, Wendy, that every day I look this up on the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration website. Every day, about 32 people in the United States die in drunk driving crashes. That's one person every 45 minutes. And to me, this kind of extends that thing. I don't like the idea, but um, we'll see how it goes. I guess some people do. Well, let me let me uh, toss out a couple ideas here. So we're, we can't assume that everybody that drinks until 4 a.m. is then going to get behind the wheel. Right. I mean, that, that's why you have those brave Uber drivers lined up outside bars. Um, and the, the rationale for this, you know, people ask me, why? Why is this a thing? Remember, we talked about this a couple of years ago. I was on the air talking about this, um, this kind of an idea. Uh, and, of course, the, it's money. It would be an economic boost coming out of the pandemic, tough years. Um, I'm willing to bet people tip late at night a little better. But here's the other side of that. Okay, that's probably all true. And yes, there are people like Norm from Cheers that maybe just sits and nurses a beer all night or people that don't drink, that just like to hang out. However, I guess they could go to Denny's. That's probably better for them. Even if people don't drive, uh, being able to drink two more hours uh, can't be a good thing if if it's causing trouble in a neighborhood, if it's getting into a fight. Those are the arguments that are being made. Um, what are the seven cities? Uh, we all can imagine that you would think you could guess them, but you probably couldn't guess all of them. San Francisco, Fresno, Oakland, Cathedral City, Palm Springs, Coachella, and West Hollywood. So San Diego, of course, not being on the list. But you know what's interesting about this discussion we're having? I don't know if this is going to go anywhere. It's got a hearing next week, and then, of course, it would have to you know make its way through through the Congress. But many states have very different laws um, on the books regarding how late you can serve alcohol. Notice I didn't say how late you can drink, how late you can serve alcohol, which is different than how late you can stay open. Mm. Um, some of those rules are different on New Year's Eve. Alaska's rule is different on Election Day. You want to be sober when you're... I, I don't know what they think. Everybody's going to like take their ballots to the bar with them or something. <laughs> um, but there's there's lots of different rules and nuances, even within, as we call, dry 
territories where, you know, you can't drink and bars can't sell alcohol. There are wet districts and then vice versa. It's amazing how different these laws are all over the country. And I'm hoping, and we'll talk a little bit more about this pilot project in a minute, but part of that has got to be looking to see how this has worked in other jurisdictions, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Las Vegas, for example, I mean, everybody, I guess, kind of knows this. On the Strip, at least, those you can buy alcohol 24-7 over there. And uh, I don't know what their statistics are on on drunk driving. That would be interesting. But also there's the aspect of there's certain areas of Southern California cities, and I don't want to mention any particular city to to say anything bad about them, where the bars are open late at night. And it tends to be a lot of young people, and there's a lot of fights and so forth. So to me, this kind of opens the possibility that that problem could actually escalate. Now, the fact that they are open, the noise problem probably wouldn't be an issue because if there's any band playing in the bars, I mean, I think they know what to do with with the noise aspect. But I do think the uh, opportunity for fights to happen would increase. And also the thing, this is kind of interesting, and we have the marijuana laws here in California that now basically uh, recreational marijuana is allowed. And now we have drunk driving and drugged driving. And I, I guess that's not really related to this law, but it's like every time they seem to pass a law, it seems like they kind of loosen the moral bounds a little bit and make it a little bit more liberal and possibly dangerous for people. And I think that this one is one of them. Yeah, you know, we talk about this um, on a lot of different levels. I mean, you brought up the band playing and the music. What about the food service? I mean, so there's there's lots of different ways that you would have to research this. You'd probably want to look at the communities. Um, obviously, if it's rural communities, I'm trying to think, you know, San Francisco does not have many rural communities. Of, but maybe, you know, some of the other jurisdictions do. I mean, I, I know some of them do. I spend time in them. So you look at that. You'd want to look at community buy-in, which is really a mixed bag. I mean, on the one hand, you can imagine that everybody would like an economic boost, but at what cost? That yes. is the thing, is we keep coming back to some call this late-night mischief. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what my parents would have called it growing up. But you, you bring it back to, do any good things happen when you're allowed to drink for two more hours. I mean, you could argue, well, gosh, I mean, you know, some people probably only drink Diet Coke past midnight, right. but some don't. I know it. And, uh, you know, with the, the pandemic lockdowns, a lot of these bars and restaurants move their um, tables out into the street, basically. Yeah. I can think of several communities. So not only do you have the music situation, which I think probably won't be a problem, but all these people are now out in the street and they're talking in loud tones. Sometimes when they get alcohol, they tend to talk a lot louder. And I can just tell you, um, I've witnessed cases where you've got to call or, or think about calling the police and say, you know, we're trying to get some sleep here. <laughs> and so there would be the possibility of increased noise, at least conversational type noise, which could keep people up. So I don't think it's a good thing. Yeah. Let me give you another. Um, I'm going to really make this current. Uh, post-pandemic work is remote uh, for a lot of people. That has afforded a lot of people the opportunity to get jobs overseas. You talk about time zones and you know the ungodly hour uh, that I get up. So I'd be on the road if, God forbid, any of these people that drank late uh, decided to get behind the wheel. But even if I wasn't on the road, I'd be up. Uh, And this remote work world that we live in means more of the population is on, let's call it a swing shift, because they're either living in San Diego and working on East Coast time, 
or they're living here or living in one of these seven cities and working overseas. So it's not true anymore that you can necessarily always assume that nobody else is up in the middle of the night. Now, if these people are walking home, I would say that there's that may be hazardous as well. And, you know, you give the example of the bike. You know, you can get a DUI on a bike. I'm sure you know that. You, you can't, you know, there's there's lots of other laws that you don't hear about often enough that might come into play. But just the the, the knee-jerk reaction when people have heard about this, um, unless you own a bar or restaurant or, and, or can sympathize with that industry, you probably are at least a little bit concerned about this idea. Right. We used to have a... Um a long time ago, a neighbor who was on the highway patrol, and he said, you know, in this area in Southern California, we get a lot of wrong way drivers. Oh. And that is such a tragedy. And to me, again, going back to leaving people drink to four in the morning, I, I would think that that would, I'm sorry to say, would increase the wrong way drivers. And there's nothing... There's few things worse than that. How do you dodge a wrong way driver when you're on the freeway? Um, So for a lot of reasons, I I would vote against it. I don't know if I'm going to take the step of actually writing my uh, representative up in Sacramento, but we'll see how this goes. Is there any idea of how it's moving along? Yes. So here's what the task force would would be comprised of. There'd be at least one member of law enforcement. There'd be... Um, somebody from the California Highway Patrol, uh, they would be developing a recommended local plan. And it would include the requirement that you have to show that public convenience or necessity would be served by the additional hours. It would identify the service area where you'd have these on-sale licensed premises that would become eligible for additional hours um, and how that the area would benefit. Okay, this is a, a challenge, but this is going to be part of the task force. You also have to show significant support by, res, by residents and businesses within the service area. Mm. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it. It's gonna, There's going to be an assessment that is prepared in consultation with local law enforcement. So think about that. You're taking into account all these stakeholders that are going to be in a position to provide the kind of input you and I have been just speculating about. I mean, these are the folks that are going to have those hard statistics that's going to really drive not only the design, but the desirability for this idea to ever actually make it through. It'll it'll sunset in five years. You know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, but a lot of bad things can happen in five years which is why there's so much that's going on on the front end. One other thing that's going to be involved is a demonstration that transportation services are readily acceptable in the additional hours service area. I mean, think about that. Have you ever tried to get an Uber late at night and it says having trouble connecting you to a driver? That cannot happen in the areas that would be open now till 4 a.m. Because you don't want anybody knowing that and thinking, well, I guess I have to drive. I can't, you know, I can't find an Uber. So that's all really important. But in any event, my guess is we'll continue to talk about this. Um, But I guess let's close with the flip side of that. We are hoping that everybody enjoys the beautiful weather and the beautiful weekend in a safe, fun, healthy, sober environment. Uh, in order to have a a, a great week and and join us next weekend. Amen. All right. So you're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. Larry Dersham and I have loved spending some time with you. Same place next week, same time. God bless you. We'll see you then.
Thank you for joining us for today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.